love that song. It's well with my soul. If my subject tonight is true, then nothing's too hard for God. It's well with my soul. Let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 18. <clears throat> and the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre. <clears throat> and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked. And lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. And said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. And I'll fetch a morsel of bread, and comfort ye your hearts. After that you shall pass on, for therefore are you come to your servant. And they said, So do as thou hast said. And Abraham hasted in, into the tent unto Sarah, and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes upon the heart. And Abraham ran unto the herd, and fetched a calf, tender and good, and gave it unto a young man, and he hasted to dress it. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed, and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. And they said unto him, where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee, according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, Shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee, according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. We'll end our reading there. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, we bow in your awesome presence this evening. We bow thankfully before the throne of grace. Oh, how thankful we are that because of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of our sacrifice, because of our mediator, we can come not before a throne of justice, but a throne of grace. And sinful men and women like we are can call the God of heaven and earth our Father. Oh, how thankful we are. It's only because of your mercy and your grace and your goodness, and your power to put away the sin of your people in justice. Father, we're so thankful and Father, I beg of you that this evening that you would give us the spirit of worship. That you would enable us to hear the gospel mixed with faith. To, with the eye of faith, be able to see our Lord Jesus Christ. Be able to revel in who he is. What he has accomplished for his people. And rest our souls in him.
quit trying to earn our way to God and rest in our Lord Jesus Christ, who's already done all things well. Father, bless us, we pray, for your great namesake, that we might tonight see the glory of Christ our Savior, his redemptive glory. And Father, what we pray for ourselves, we pray for your people who are gathering together in little groups all around the world tonight to hear a word from thee. Father, bless your word. For your great name's sake, bless your word. And bless your people in hearing it. And Father, we pray a blessing for those that you brought into the valley of trouble and trial. We pray for Julie that you'd give us some good reports, that you would give the doctors and nurses wisdom in in treating her and restore her to, to full health quickly, Father, if it could be thy will. And others, there's so many, those who are suffering silently in different places of deep water, Father, give them a fulfillment of your promise that you'll not leave nor forsake your people, that you go into the valley with them, that you'd gone before and give them some understanding that nothing's too hard for thee. Show your power in delivering and comforting the hearts of your people, we pray. Again, Father, I beg of you that you'd give us an hour of worship. Let us see and worship our Lord Jesus Christ. Exalt his precious name. For it's in his name and for his sake we pray. Amen. All right, I've titled the message this evening, Is Anything Too Hard for the Lord? Verse 14, let's read it again. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee. There's no doubt about this. I will return unto thee. According to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Now this phrase, translated too hard, it does mean something that might be too difficult. But almost always, this phrase, too hard, is translated wonderful, wondrous, and marvelous. Wonderful and marvelous. Is anything too wonderful for God to do? Is anything so marvelous that God can't do it? Well, no. Nothing's too difficult for our God. He has the power to do everything that he wills to do. And everything our God does is wonderful. Everything he does is awe-inspiring. Listen to a few verses I looked up. Job 9, verse 10. Job says, which I'm talk, speaking here of God, which doeth great things past finding out. Yea, and wonders. He does wonders without number. That word wonders is the same word translated too hard here. Wonders. Psalm 40, verse 5. David says, Many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works. Same word too hard. Thy wonderful works which thou hast done. And thy thoughts which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, if I would declare and speak of all your wonderful works, they're more than can be numbered. And in Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. And it's marvelous. Same word too hard. This is marvelous in our eyes. Now I know that there are many things, many things that the Lord has the power to do. You never have to doubt that the Lord has power to do something. Someone has a disease. I don't care what it is. I don't care what stage it's in. The Lord has the power to heal it. He has the power 
to keep us from getting sick at all. You could walk right through a, a epidemic of bubonic plague or something, you know, never get sick. If the Lord is pleased, he, he has the power to keep you from getting sick. He has the power to bless his people, to bless physically and to bless spiritually. He has the power to do it whenever, wherever they're at. But you know, I can't say for certain that the Lord's going to do those things. That's why we pray, don't we? You know, one of the reasons we pray to our God, there's nothing too hard for him. Everything's too hard for us, isn't it? Nothing's too hard for him. We, we pray to the Lord. He has the power to help, the power to, to intervene on our, on our behalf. And to say, well, you know, I'm not going to get sick. Whatever disease is going around, I'm not going to get it. Or I've got this, this disease, but the Lord's going to heal me. I don't have any doubt about it. Certainly the Lord's going to heal me because he's got the power to do it. Well, now that's false faith. You know why it's false faith? The Lord hadn't promised to do it. I don't know. I mean, he has the power to do it, doesn't he? Will he do it? I don't know. But I do know this. Everything that the Lord is pleased to do, Everything that he purposed and promised to do, he's going to do it. It shall be done. And I thought about five things which the Lord has done. These things are marvelous in our eyes. Only God could do it. And I hope when you hear these five things, you'll rejoice and you will be glad to bow down before him and worship him. The Lord has done these things for his people. And he's going to continue to do it until he comes back again to get his people and receive them to himself. So here's the first thing. Can God Almighty really appear in human flesh? God who is spirit. God whom the heavens cannot contain. Could he really appear in the body of a man in, in the flesh? Look at verse 1, Genesis 18. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Don't, don't leave me. Now one of these three men is a pre-incarnate appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Christ, Jesus Christ, appearing in the flesh before he was ever born in Bethlehem. Now, is that possible? But that's who it is, because if you look at verse, verse 10, and he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. Now, only God could say that. Only God could say, I'm going to come and give life. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. And to the human mind, it seems impossible. How can somebody that's not even been born, how can he appear in the flesh? How's that possible? Can, can that really be? Well, of course it can. Nothing's too hard for God. And I'll tell you, it's wonderful that he did. This is a wonderful thing. Christ appearing in our flesh, that's our hope of salvation. Christ appearing in our flesh, that's our hope of having a representative. That's our hope of having a sacrifice. Look over at Luke chapter 1. You know, even all the how many ever years later it was from Abraham to the birth of Christ, after the Savior was born, the Pharisees would not and could not believe that God would appear 
in human flesh. They just said, this man can't be God. They wanted to kill him for, for blasphemy, saying he was God. And here's their problem. They didn't understand nothing's too hard for God. But you know, Mary had the same difficulty when she first heard she's going to be the mother of the Lord. Is this possible? Almighty God born in the flesh? Yes. Look here at Luke 1, verse 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be? How is this possible, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. And you think, how is this possible? How is this virgin going to give birth to a son? How is this old woman Elizabeth going to give birth to a son to be the forerunner of Christ? How is that possible? Verse 37. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Oh, that's not impossible for God. Nothing's too hard for God to cause his son to be born in human flesh, to be born as a, as a real man. What a wonderful thing. The son of God was born in a barn, barn stable, a cow, cow stable, whatever it was, of a Jewish virgin. Isn't that wonderful? But I'll tell you something even more awe-inspiring than that. It's why did God appear in human flesh? He appeared. Almighty God, the eternal Father, became a babe of days, appeared in human flesh so that he could save the worst kind of sinners. Sinners like you and me. That's why he came. Oh, that's wonderful, isn't it? Isn't it? That's something that's so wonderful. Only God could do it. Only God would do it. It's something that's so wonderful. Only the character of God would do something so wonderful. Only God who's both merciful and just. Only God who's both gracious and at the same time true to his holiness and his justice would do something like this to save a sinner from their sin. Oh, that Christ appeared to save sinners like you and me. That's marvelous in our eyes, isn't it? Then here's the second thing. Now, is this possible? That a sinner, a dyed-in-the-wool sinner, could ever be as white as snow? Not just on the outside, but through and through without any trace of sin in them. Is that possible? Well, it's impossible for man to do it, isn't it? You know, we're defiled by sin. I mean, sin is not just like this dirt, you know, on the outside of us. We're defiled with sin through and through, just like a cloth that's been soaked in dye. It just, once that cloth is soaked in dye, you can't get the color out. You're not making it white again. Well, you know, that's us. That's us in our, in our human nature. We've been defiled by sin. 
And by our works, we can't make ourselves clean. Look at Isaiah chapter 1. When you look at us, you think we're a lost cause. If we could see ourselves as we really are, in our sin, as we are in Adam, we'd think we're a lost cause. Not possible. But listen, nothing's too hard for God. Isaiah 1 verse 4. Isaiah describes us here. Ah, sinful nation. A people laden with iniquity. A seed of evildoers. Children that are corruptors. They've forsaken the Lord. they provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They're gone away backward. Why should you be stricken anymore? You'll revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head. There's no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They've not been closed up. Closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Well, that's us, isn't it? That, that sounds like a hopeless situation. Covered from the sole of the foot to the top of the head with seeping wounds and bruises and putrefying, stinking sores. And then look at verse 16. This is what God says to those people here from the sole of the foot to the top of the head, covered with these horrible sores and diseases and sickness of sin. He says in verse 16, wash you and make you clean. Put away the evil of your doing from before mine eyes. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. <laughs> how on earth am I going to do that? How am I going to wash myself? How am I going to, how am I, how can a sinful man like me learn to do good? How's that possible? I can't do good. Verse 18. Come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they should be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they should be as wool. Look over at Psalm 51. We'll see how, how does this happen? How is this, how is this possible? How can my sins that are red as crimson, they're just, they're dyed through and through. How can they become white as snow? How is it I can be washed and, and make myself holy? How can I ever be white as snow? I mean, I know it's not by how hard I try. It can't be by how sincere I am that, that I'm made white as snow. That's impossible for me to do. I hope we realize that. Because if we realize it's impossible for me to do, now we'll start resting in Christ. Because nothing's too hard for God. Look at verse 7 of Psalm 51. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Lord, you wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Oh, if God the Holy Spirit, if he'll apply the blood of Christ to my heart, if he purges me with his blood, I'll be clean. I'll be clean. And isn't it wonderful that God Almighty would slaughter his son and shed his blood to wash sinners like you and me white as snow? That's why he did it. Now that's wonderful. Isn't that wonderful in your eyes? All right, here's the third thing. Can a sinner really be saved and made perfect? Now we know we can't be perfect. We just... Human beings just inherently know this. I can't be perfect. So what we do in our minds is we lower the standard of salvation. We lower the standard of how good do you got to be 
in order to be saved. Because we know we can't make ourselves perfect. I mean, we already know it's too late for that. We've done a real good job of making ourselves guilty, but we can't make ourselves innocent. We can't make ourselves perfect now that we've already made ourselves guilty. It's too late. It's impossible. Look at Matthew chapter 19. Well, it is impossible for you and me. But thank God nothing's too hard for the Lord. This is, as a, the Lord is talking to that rich, rich young ruler, who said, all these things have I kept from my youth up. And I don't think he was lying. I'd say outwardly he did. I'd say outwardly he kept all these things. And the Lord, you know, you know how the Lord dealt with him. He went away sorrowful. In verse 25, when the disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, who then can be saved? Who can be? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now this rich young ruler, he was the absolute best mankind has to offer. He had the best outward righteousness, the best outward morality a human being has to offer. He's the best that a man could make himself outwardly under the law. And all it took for the Lord to show that's not good enough is say one sentence. Sell everything you have and come follow me. That's all it took. It's so easy for the Lord to show this is not good enough. Now this is what we need to understand. Salvation is not being as good as we can be. Salvation is not being as good as this rich young ruler. Salvation is being as good as God. As good as God. Now, no sinner can do that. We, we don't have the nature of God. We can't make ourselves as good as God. Well, thankfully, nothing's too hard for God. He makes His people perfect. In Christ Jesus, everybody who believes Him, in Christ Jesus, we're as perfect as God Himself. I'll show you that. Look back in our text. There's a, there's a really good picture of this here. We're all made perfect by our works. We're made perfect through faith. Through faith in Christ. Look here in, in Genesis 18 verse 9. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? He said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I'll certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. It ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old also. And then the Lord called her on it. And then in verse 15, Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not. And she said that because she's afraid. You know, you laugh and the Lord rebukes you for, of course you're afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. There's no question. You laughed. Now this word translated laugh. I, I've always, I don't know, been a little fuzzed up about this, I guess. This word translated laugh is the very same word translated laugh in Genesis 17. Remember the Lord came to Abraham and he told Abraham, you're going to have a, have a son. And it says, Abraham laughed. But now, it's the very same word translated laugh here. I thought maybe they'd be two different words, you know. And I thought, well, why did the Lord rebuke Sarah and not Abraham? Well, the word it does mean, it has a, it's the same word, it has, has two different meanings, two very different meanings. It means to laugh in joy, but it also means to laugh mockingly. 
And I guess you just got to know, you know, which one is which. Well, here's how we know that Sarah's laugh, I don't know if mocking is the right word, but just she just couldn't believe it. This, this is too good to be true. This, this can't be. It was a lack of faith. We know that because the Lord gently rebuked her for it, didn't he? Now, who could blame her? Before everybody gets all hard on Sarah here, who can blame her? Who can? She'd already gone through menopause. Biologically, it's impossible for Sarah to have a child. If it had been today, she'd have gone into all the infertility clinics and all the specialists everywhere, and they'd have told her, Sarah, you can't have a child. She's 90 years old. I mean, 90 years old. That's pretty tough age to start raising a family, don't you reckon? <laughs> Jan and I chased after a four-year-old nephew for a, for a week. I mean, I, we're so exhausted, we're still recovering. Imagine doing that when you're 90. Oh, my goodness. You know, doctors don't give 90-year-old women pregnancy tests because it's just not possible. It can't happen. I was uh, talking with a nurse yesterday, and she made this statement. I thought, oh, I'm going to put that in my nose. She said, when you consider what it takes for a baby to be formed in the womb and then to have a live birth, she said, it's a miracle any of us are here. (laughs) It's an absolute miracle. And I told her, only God could do that. And she said, you're right. Only God can give life like that. Well, here's poor old Sarah, 90 years old. She so desperately wanted a child. You know she wanted a child. Thankfully for Sarah, nothing's too hard for God. He did come at that exact time he said he'd come, and he gave life. And if you look over, I just want to show you this in Genesis chapter 21. She she gave birth, and despite her weak faith, she gave birth. And when she did, she laughed again. Genesis 21 verse 5. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh so that all here, all that here will laugh with me. I didn't need to look that word up, see what that one means. She's laughing in joy, isn't she? Oh, the God, he made her to laugh in joy. Nothing's too hard for God. All right, that's Genesis. Now look over Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. Not only did God cause Sarah to give birth to Isaac, God did something even better for Sarah. He made her perfect in Christ. Hebrews 11, verse 11. Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Really? Does that sound like what we just read over in Genesis? She's judging him faithful that promised Really? Now I know the word of God doesn't contradict itself, but why does the writer to the Hebrews seem to say something so different than the way that the, the Moses described it in Genesis? Well, I can tell you. The Old Testament account gives us Sarah as she's seen under the law. In the New Testament in Hebrews, we have a picture of, of Sarah as she's seen in Christ. And she's seen as perfect. She's seen as having perfect faith. Now for one of Sarah's brethren, 
who has such weak faith. That's encouraging to me and to you. Oh, it's marvelous in my eyes that as weak and sinful as I am, God sees me as perfect through faith in Christ. By trusting Christ and not what I am in Adam and not all my you know works trying to please God. By faith in Christ, God sees His people as perfect without flaw. That's a marvelous thing. Isn't that marvelous in your eyes? Alright, here's the fourth thing. Can an unrighteous sinner ever be made righteous? We read that in uh, Isaiah to begin the service. The Lord's talking about these unrighteous people and He's going to bring His righteousness near, put salvation in this. Now, is that possible? I mean, really? Is that just figurative language? Or is that real? I'm telling you, it better be real. Or we have no hope of salvation. And I know this, by our works of the law, we can never make ourselves righteous. Hebrew, or Romans 3 verse 20 says this, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. By our deeds of the law, we can't make ourselves righteous. All we do when we try to make ourselves righteous by obeying the law, all the law does is reveal our sin, reveal our unrighteousness, show us how sinful we are. We can't make ourselves righteous by keeping it. Now you and I are in big trouble unless we have a perfect righteousness. God will never accept us without it. Sounds to me like we're in deep trouble because we can't produce one. By the law is the knowledge of sin. Well, thankfully, nothing's too hard for God. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For He, God the Father, hath made Him, God the Son, sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Now the scoffer will laugh mockingly. And they'll say, that verse doesn't mean what it says. The Lord Jesus Christ, He's holy. So it's impossible for Him to be made sin. The sinner is so unrighteous, it's impossible for the sinner to be made righteous. This is not talking about something that God does for His people in the new birth and in, on this earth. This is talking about something, you know, in, in the future, in, in glory or something. But even at the cross, Christ was not made sin. This was just a, a pretend thing, you know. Because that, that's just impossible that the Son of God would, would be made sin. You know what? Sarah thought it was impossible for a 90-year-old woman to have a child too, didn't she? The Pharisees thought it was impossible for Jesus of Nazareth to be God in the flesh. <laughs> I tell you, just be careful. Be very careful for we say something's impossible just because we don't understand it. There are a few things that are impossible. Not many, but there's a few. Number one, it's impossible for God to lie. Don't think God's ever going to lie. That, that's impossible. It's impossible for God to sin. It's impossible for God to, to, to commit iniquity. Everything He does is right and holy and just. And it's impossible for God to violate His Word. 
It's impossible. Impossible. Now I know it sounds impossible that the Holy Son of God would be made sin. And you know, people that want to mock this verse and, and, and try to kind of pull it down, they don't even, you, you, if you ever notice this, they don't talk about Christ being made sin. Do they? They say he's a sinner. That's not what that says. It says he has made sin. Made sin. It seemed that, 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 that seems impossible. How could Christ be the sinless sacrifice and still be made sin? That's impossible. It seems impossible that a sinner in the flesh could ever be made righteous. Now, let's not fool ourselves. We're sinners. That's all we ever do is sin. How can anybody say that we're righteous? That's impossible. Well, it's not impossible. And you know why it's possible? Because God did it. God did it. And nothing's too hard for God. For He hath made Him sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made by His power. by the, his, his power is God. The power of His grace. The power of His mercy. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The Father did it. And He said so. So brother, it's done. I don't have to understand it. God said it. Then it's so. <laughs> Hebrews 8, verse 12 says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now the Father is just. Just and holy and right. How can He remember sins no more? These are sins we committed now. This is a sin that we are. We committed these things. How can He not remember those things anymore? Rick, it's because they're not there. God made them to not exist. He put them away by the blood of Christ. And when the Father looks at His elect, you know what He sees? Perfect righteousness. Because that's what He made them. That's what He made them because of the sacrifice of Christ. Now that's a wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing Almighty God has done to make a people like you and me righteous. Perfectly righteous. All right, here's the last thing. Can God really give the dead life? Physically and and spiritually. Now, can God make the dead to live again? Is that possible? Well, Sarah's womb was dead, wasn't it? That's the way she's described. Her womb was dead, and she, she still gave birth to Isaac. Life from the dead. All right. Preacher, you got another example of that? Well, there are many, but let me show you one. Mark 5. You know all the many miracles our Lord did, raising folks from the dead. But here's a particularly clear one. Mark chapter 5. Verse 35. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? No need to do anything else. Your daughter's dead. That's the end of it. The situation is hopeless. And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult. And them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make you this ado? 
and weep. The damsel's not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. And when he put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him, and entered in where the damsel was lying. And took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha Cumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, Arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years, and they were astonished with great astonishment. (laughs) Now it's just impossible for a dead girl to rise up and walk. That's impossible. Somebody told me that happened, I wouldn't believe them. I mean, I just wouldn't believe them. I keep my children away from them. This person's nuts. I, I wouldn't believe them. This girl got up and walked. You know why she did? Because of who told her to rise and walk. <laughs> Nothing's too hard for the Lord. He told her to rise and walk, and she did. Now that is unimaginable power. To you and me. How is it that dead flesh can live again? And we we can't even define how the body's living and then it's not. The soul that that left it, that we can't even understand everything that happened here. How are you going to put that soul back in that body? How are you going to make the body live again? The the flesh starts immediately rotting. Because nothing's too hard for God. Isn't that just, it's unimaginable power, isn't it? Let me show you something better. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. Here's here's something better. God the Holy Spirit uses the same power to give spiritual life to dead sinners. 2 Peter 1 verse 3. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to virtue, glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Now, Almighty God has given us everything that pertains to life. A dead sinner lives because God gives him everything that pertains unto life. Spiritual, eternal life. Now you remember yourself, you who believe. You remember yourself, don't you? When you were dead. When you couldn't see. When you couldn't hear. You couldn't believe. Now you, now you have family. You have loved ones. You have people at work. You have people you know. and You try to explain the gospel to them. They can't see. They can't hear. And you can't make them, can you? I mean, there's absolutely nothing in this world you can do to make them hear, to make them believe. We have people sit here every week, don't know the Lord, they're lost, but they keep coming. And one day, at least I think I see a light go on. I think I see something. Don't say a word. Just wait. Just wait. And so far, every time that's happened, they'll they'll come to me eventually and tell me I want to confess Christ in baptism. What happened? 
I mean, we tried and tried and tried to try to get through to that person. And one day they heard what happened. Because nothing's too hard for God. By His divine power, He takes the preaching of the gospel and gives life where there was none before. <laughs> and makes them, get hold of your seat now, partakers of the divine nature. Joins them to Christ. Gives them the life of Christ. You talk about something unimaginable. That's unimaginable power. That somebody like you and me could be made partakers of the divine nature. I can't comprehend it, but brother, I sure do love it. Don't you? Oh, I love it. It's marvelous in our eyes. Now just remember this now in closing. Is anything too hard for God? You face problems and difficulties and you in a situation you think is hopeless, hang on a second. Is anything too hard for God? Not if God said He'd do it, it's not. It's not too hard for God. Your loved ones that don't know the Lord, heart just is in such turmoil for them. Now just, you keep praying. You keep praying. You keep giving them a message. You keep, nothing's too hard for God. Nothing's too hard for, is anything too wonderful for God to do? Aaron, his name's wonderful. He can do what, oh, he does wonderful things. You find yourself in a real fix and you're hurting and you, well, will the Lord deliver you? Will the Lord heal you? I don't know. He hadn't promised to. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you something he's promised to do that might be more wonderful and more miraculous than making you feel better by delivering you. Would Lord heal you? I don't know. I'll pray He does. Will the Lord comfort your heart while you're in the midst of that trial? While you're in that deep water and that deep, dark pit? Huh? Yes, He will. You know why I know that? He promised His grace is sufficient. And when God comforts the heart of one of His broken-hearted children and doesn't change the circumstance, doesn't change the pain, doesn't change the worry, doesn't, and He still comforts their heart, oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful in my eyes. I hope hearing of Him whose, whose name is wonderful will comfort our hearts and make us just have such peace and calm and casting it all on Him. Just quit worrying about it. Just quit. And cast it all on Him. Nothing's too hard for Him. Alright, let's bow together. Our Father, how we thank You that You revealed unto us something of, of who and what You are. The sovereign God who does as He pleases. And oh, Father, how we thank you that it's pleased you to make us your people, to redeem your people by the blood of your Son. How we thank you that it's pleased you to give life to your people through the preaching of the gospel. How we thank you that you it's pleased you to send forth the gospel to reach the hearts of your people, to teach us, to comfort us, to, to settle us, and to keep us 
waiting on and looking to Christ our Savior. Father, we thank you. And I pray, Father, that you take your word as it's been preached tonight through stumbling and bumbling lips. And Father, that you take not our commentary on it, but your word and apply it to the hearts of your people. Father, for your glory, show us your glory by saving your people, comforting your people, the hearts of your people by the preaching of the gospel. It's in Christ's matchless name we pray and give thanks. Amen. All right, Sean.